<laughs> I watched Little Shop of Horrors last night. Oh. And I was so surprised at how good it was. Why? I watched it a long time ago and I just, I kind of remember it being okay, but I watched it again last night with a group and it was just a delight. Oh, well, that's good. That's good. I've had a different experience of, of the world. Not of Little, Shop, Little Shop of Horrors, just... <sighs> Philippa, they put science in me. But, oh, have you had your yes. Fauci ouchie? Yes, they put science in my arm <laughs> and then it made me die slightly i was so ill i was so ill and i couldn't oh, move my fucking arm know. yeah but it's so weird because i like n took a nosedive into ill where it's like my body aches i had a headache and i was sick and i was i was on a walk and i like puked on a dog more or less and then the dog was like <laughs> licking up my puke and i just like called my manager like you have to come get me <laughs> and so like, they came and rescued me <laughs> and sent me home which i felt terrible about because then the next day my manager's day was like fucking thrunging but then i was like i'm dying the science is killing me the 5g i'm turning into a lizard i don't know and then the next the next day i woke up and i was like sunshine lollipops and everything is fine la 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 so yeah i need to figure out how to register for the vaccine yeah it's just you need the science it needs to, it's it's going to protect you. Although you never go outside anyway, so maybe it's not so bad. I got gastric flu the other day. Oh my god. And I ask myself, how? How? So I do want to get my vaccine. Mm -hmm. I need to upgrade to 5G. Yeah, yeah. I'm thoroughly enjoying my 5G body. I'm ready for it. And the mind control. And the laser vision? And the laser vision is less good because it's, you know, if you're looking at something really hard and then something's like, pew, then the thing is on fire and you're like, I was using that. I just figure, why go through all the trouble of doing daily yoga with the affirmations when you can just ascend through a simple jab? Well, this is where this clashes up against my morals because I am becoming a bone witch. And I will tell you because I now am the proud owner of an entire deer skeleton. What? Well, the story goes. You killed a deer? Yes. <laughs> so we found, we on a walk, dogs were like, Arr! found a deer, dead, sniffing around like, ooh, delicious, disgusting smells. And it was like, right, this is, uh, the deer is a bit um, at, uh, juicy, I would say, very juicy yes. at the moment. It's definitely just like, a corpse and not bones, which is what I want being a bone witch. So I'm like, we'll come back in a week. Did you go back in a Fast week? Fast forward to a week later, we went back. I've got a picture of it. It's really cool. It's just this like rib cage sticking up and all this like stuff. And that most of it has been picked clean, probably by birds, because we saw loads of feathers around there. So we put like put it in a box and took it back. Bits of it was still a bit juicy, so we're like, okay, so we've got to buried it in the garden, and we shall exhume the bones in maybe a month's time, you know, give all the maggots and stuff time for to pick it clean and for it to rot down. And That's very good witchiness. It's good witchiness, isn't it? But what I'm saying all this is because as I'm, like, is it descending or is it ascending into full druid bone witch kind of thing? 
I'd say ascending. I think it's upward mobility. Yeah, definitely, definitely an uptick from anything else. So as I'm ascending gloriously into druidhood, this means that I have to pull away from science. Uh... Because the two don't mix. But now I'm full of science and the wild mother isn't going to be pleased with me. (laughs) Whereas here I am at home huffing CBD going, please, can I have the dopamine? Please, I need the serotonin. The devil's lettuce! But, ah, Jess, I can't segue. You were all prepared. You You did like a big breath and I could see you in my mind's eye being like, here is where we go into the podcast now, which is everything is awful forever. And I'm Jessica Byrne, apprentice bone witch, apprentice to who? The world. I'm Philippa Evans, huffing the devil's lettuce. <laughs> I'm a little bit sad with myself. I feel like I missed an opportunity yeah. because mm-hmm. you were talking about burying a deer skeleton. Yeah. And I could have said, speaking of burying, uh-huh. burying. Uh-huh. Well, Philippa, we can go back and edit around splicey slice and make it seamless and so it makes it look like you're a genius yeah shall i count you in i'll talk about my deer skeleton and stuff some more then you can do it okay go (laughs) okay tell me about your deer skeleton okay so i found found, uh found a deer and fuck (laughs) (laughs) what coincidence oh sorry you haven't gotten to that part yet (laughs) and then uh got it we left an ear behind, and it's like, I don't know what to do with that. Let's just leave it. That one's that one's like, you know, when you pour one out for your boys, that one's like for the earth. A tribute. Yes. Um, a, li- a libation. Yes, yes. It's like when you're foraging, you're supposed to only take 10%, but in this case, I'm leaving 10%, which is the ear. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I got a deer, and it's cool and good. Well, Mother Nature, ear you go. <laughs> and then you were banished from the forest forever. <laughs> Speaking of burying dead things, burying dead things. I love it. Is my episode. So, one thing that we don't think about nearly often enough, I say after we've been discussing <laughs> the burying <laughs> of. <laughs> we don't even plant this. Hey, Philip, did I tell you about my fucking deer corpse? And you're like, that segues into the things that I'm doing. I just think that you and I are on a wavelength. So, as you were burying your deer, I was like, mmm, the earth is hungry. <laughs> the ground opens its maw. I know what I'm going to talk about this week. <laughs> yes. So what we don't think about nearly often enough, I wrote this down, so I'm still going to say it, <laughs> is that cities are populated by far more dead people than living. Oh. And sometimes this becomes unmanageable. Like, not every historical era had a Mary Kondo to come and clean up your city, asking what sparks joy and helping you find space for all those pesky corpses that you thought would be a good idea at the time, but now just sit in the drawer gathering dust. <laughs> Cops control. I'm not really sure what else to call it. I'm sure there's an official term. Wasn't a new problem to London in the 1800s, but it did become a bigger problem as the population grew. Hmm. Between 1815, when the French were rightfully defeated at Waterloo, (laughs) and 1842, the population of London had more than doubled, going from one million to two and a half million. And I get angsty just when Edinburgh's population doubles over the fest period from 40,000 to 80,000. Yeah, that's that's a whole lot. It's because they walk five abreast, really. And not just that, but then they... Stop. They just, they're walking and then they just 
come to a dead halt and you're like, I'm going to fucking work. I don't care how drunk you are and it's 2pm. I'm very jealous and I'm going to my office. I was going to say, I too am drunk because now the route to my office is paved with outside drinking stalls. Okay, so we're picturing the fringe, but horrible. So instead of uh, outside drink stalls, it's just... um, Outside plague stalls. And dead collectors and things like that. Soot. Yeah. (laughs) Clouds of soot just ambling around. Five abreast. (laughs) So that's a lot of potential dead people walking around, I say to myself during the fest and also back in the 1800s. And what compounded the problem is that life expectancy wasn't very high, so people were dead much sooner. In her book Necropolis, Catherine Arnold mentions that the life expectancy for a professional man in London was 30 years old. Wow. For a laborer at the same time, it was 17 years old. Oh my, what? And this seemed really excessive to me because I was like, I like macabre stuff, but this seems... I'm, I'm upset. <laughs> too yeah. morbid. So I spent a whole bunch of time reading around um, different books and on the internet to see if it kind of rang true, but it does seem to be pretty accurate. As cities became bigger and quality of life for the poor decreased, life became shorter. Like in Manchester in the 1840s, apparently 57% of working class children died before the age of five. Wow. Poor sanitation led to frequent outbreaks of cholera, typhoid, measles, smallpox, and tuberculosis, and combined with brutal working conditions, death was just this constant presence in the lives of the Victorian working class and poor. And London had prepared for this. They were ready. They totally, they had 200 graveyards in which to stash the bodies. That's plenty. 218 acres of ground approximately, that's fine. It's fine. It's fine. fine. Did you say it wasn't fine? Because it's fine. That sounds fine to me. Making things even finer is the fact that modern developments were making that space even smaller. So giant office blocks were springing up around these little churches, crowding their graveyards, new buildings taking any available room in the city. Of course, as my Pinterest searches for how to decorate really small houses (laughs) tell me, it's how you use the space that matters. That's right. I say, looking at a wall of books that is covering my entire desk and all the tables, and I'm stacking books on top of my heaters now, and I think that's fine. Paper's not flammable. It does kind of sound like you're making a sort of book graveyard. A pyre is what (laughs) they call it on Pinterest, really. (laughs) If you were not marvelously wealthy, you'd most probably hope to be buried in a churchyard, And hopefully not in a pauper's grave or in unconsecrated ground, which I'll get to. Cremation, by the way, was almost unheard of. It's a filthy foreign custom and we don't do it. It's only for savages. It was only towards the end of the 19th century that cremation even began to be an option. So I'll talk about that one day in an episode, but for now. In the mid-1800s, new burial grounds were being built outside of the city as the better classes tried to copy the French fashion of garden cemeteries like... Perlicious. Every time we do a French word, I go onto YouTube to look up how to pronounce it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and then some robotic voice goes, Para Laches. And it's like, I don't I don't think that's right, but whatever. I don't care enough. It's French, fuck it. So that's also something that I'd like to cover in another episode because the wealthy Londoners had some pretty fucking weird ideas about where they wanted their bodies to be mm. buried. But for now, 
banish the thought from your mind. Those beautiful Edens are not for you, you grubby little sewer goblin. Mm -hmm. The best you can hope for is an overcrowded churchyard or cellar. Okay. (laughs) Cellar, fuck. There were also graveyards controlled by and intended for Jewish people and Quakers. I couldn't find out much more about them, although I was left with the impression that they were substantially better and more strictly regulated. So we're not going to look at them because (laughs) well-functioning graveyards. Gross. I don't care. I don't give a shit about that. You only care about the juicy corpses. Yes, the ones that are half bones, half juice. In fact, it's kind of amazing just how what you've been doing for the last week is going to reflect what I'm going to say in this episode. (laughs) Why am I such a fucking freak? (laughs) Born in the wrong time, Jess. Yeah, absolutely. Honestly, I don't know what I'm going to do with it. (laughs) Just like, like, I've got just a big pile of bones. Are you going to string it up from the ceiling? Are you going to make like a really gnarly rocking horse? It's going to be some kind of weird, um, possibly some kind of strange taxidermy tableau of horror. Come Christmas time. Yes. Your reindeer diorama will be... Bring out the Christmas bones. (laughs) So, how bad could things have been? Here's an extract from the Weekly Dispatch. What a horrid place is St. Giles' churchyard. It's full of coffins up to the surface. Coffins are broken up before they're decayed, and bodies are removed to the bone house before they are sufficiently decayed to make their removal decent. What is the bone house? There's a better word for it, but none of the books that I read seemed to use it. Like a mausoleum, like, you know, in a normal graveyard, a body doesn't stay there forever. People leave it in the ground until it has fully decomposed, and then the skeletons and bones are brought up again and packed away nicely. Are they? Did you think that you had that little plot of land forever? Yeah, but your gravestone is there. Oh, they take that away, I guess. What the fuck? Because, you know, you run out of space. So when it was respectful to do so, it would be brought up again and your skeleton in some places kind of taken apart and you'd get stored nicely. Honestly, ideal graveyard keeping was not the subject of the books. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. what I'm saying is kind of just what I've gathered by reading between the lines. Yeah. So back to the, the quotation. Near the east side, we saw a finished grave into which had projected a nearly sound coffin. Half the coffin had been chopped away to complete the shape of the new grave. When we crossed to the opposite corner, and there is the bone house, which is a large round pit, in this case, (laughs) into this had been shot from a wheelbarrow, the but partly decayed inmates of the smashed coffins. Here in this place of Christian burial, you may see human heads covered with hair, and here in this consecrated ground are human heads with the flesh still adhering to them. So he's basically talking about how to dig graves. The grave diggers were digging into already finished graves, and then just kind of chucking that away into a large pit. It grew even worse during the several cholera epidemics that hit London during the 1800s. Like, in 1848, for example, over 14,000 people died of the disease, and their corpses choked up the churchyards. Even worse, as people struggled to find money for burial, they'd leave the corpses indoors, Mm. sometimes for weeks. Mm. Because... I mean, you're just living one penny away from disaster half the time, and then, you know, your uncle dies, and you gotta raise the money, otherwise it's into a pauper's grave for him, so you might as well just keep him hanging around while you try and scrounge up the cash. 
Oh, my God. The church disapproved, of course, saying, The body stretched out upon two chairs is pulled about by the children, made to serve as a resting place for any article that is in the way, the hiding place for the beer bottle or gin, if any visitor arrives inopportunely. I'm trying to do your Chillingsworth voice. I don't um, know why. Is that what that was? Mm. It was less sexy than <laughs> the one that you do for the funny episodes. Oh, but. yes. Join our, join our Patreon to hear my sexy Chillingsworth voice. I'm not going to do it now. <laughs> you have to join. You have to earn it. The major church opinion was that, you know, people could hide beer bottles in there. <laughs> Mildred is just... <laughs> Just absolutely fucking chock-a-block of <laughs> Carlsberg. You'd think that the church would care about what was going on in their own churchyards, but more important was the fee that they took for every single body that they interred. Definitely more important. Also, just to go back to the hiding beer in, in the corpses, you have a <laughs> you have a small home. You know that storage that like doubles as something else is really important. So you know, like those like footstools that are actually like a thing that you can put your blankets in. You've got the corpse that you can also store your beer inside. I don't see the problem. Corpses have a lot of holes and yeah. places in which to secrete things. And surfaces, yeah. I can just imagine them like opening dead Mildred's mouth to keep their spare change. <laughs> and... <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, Mildred, we're being disrespectful. So coffins would be buried one on top of the other in 20-foot deep shafts, with just a few inches of soil covering the topmost coffin and hiding it from the earth. I say hiding it from the earth, hiding it from the people who tread the earth. There we go, much better. <laughs> and grave diggers would dig through the graves to make room for more graves, carelessly scattering the bones of the previously oh. buried throughout the gravestones, or in some cases grinding bones into bone meal to sell off. Oh, wow. Because you got to hustle. You got that side gig. You need Everyone needs like three jobs right now. And if you get your different side gigs can feed into each other, all the better. Yes. Like, I only took up dog walking to go and collect dead bones. Is that something you tell your clients? <laughs> I screech it at them. When they're like, how was the walk? <laughs> I found bones! Found the juicy cops up school! And then, uh, <laughs> one day I was walking and I found a dead, dead magpie and I was eyeing it up like, could I, could I pick that up? Took the tongue with me. <laughs> I didn't because this is crossing a line. Could you just put it in a pocket? Yeah, yeah. This is why women need pockets for bones. Wait, I buy pockets for my dead corvids. So, in addition to being buried in church soil, you could also find your quote unquote eternal rest inside a church vault. This was less than ideal. As corpses decomposed in damp London vaults, coffins would rot away with their owners, and the putrid mess would spread and fester beneath the feet of living worshippers. Mm. It's like I feel when people want to look into my, my closet. Like, yeah. I know what lies behind the door. Not even I have seen in... In its horrors. When you used to come over and we'd record, I used to drape blankets on the closet to swallow the sound. I used to kind of have to carefully open my closet and hook a blanket and then slam it shut again and make sure that your eyes were shut so that you would never see what I had in there. Yeah, and usually when you when she would open it, you would hear this like, <laughs> and then close it again and it would be like a... 
Open the other closets and Dios, slime shots. Rectus, Domebus. Yes, and then Jess would be like, "What you got in there, Philippa?" And I'd go, "Shoes." <laughs> what do people have in their wardrobes usually? Um, bones? No. <laughs> Fuck. Um, carpets rolled up carpets filled with nothing and so if that's my bedroom closet you can imagine what the church vaults would be like mm. for example people talked about the rector's vaults beneath st clement dane's church on the strand i'm saying places like they mean things to me <laughs> and it was well known that the foul gas emanating from the corpses was so bad that lighted candles would be immediately extinguished as you cross the threshold into the vaults oh what the fuck if I was walking down carrying a candle and it just went, whoosh, I would turn around. This is like, this is the most haunted. This is ghosts, this is ghosts and spirits and demons and I need to leave. The funeral of King Henry VIII taught us that too much gas can make a coffin explode as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, Hazza. Oh, Harry. And this was a constant danger because, I mean, it's not just that Henry is special. Any coffin can explode, really. You take that back. Look, his explosion was a glorious one. Yes. So that if you were a sexton in the 1800s, one of your duties would include tapping coffins. <laughs> so allowing the gases to get out before you could have mass explosions. Oh my god. Not only that, but you better hope a fire doesn't start in your putrid church. Because <laughs> when it did happen, the gases would feed the flames and allow the fire to burn for days. Mm-mm. I don't like this flammable corpse gas. This this worries <laughs> me about my um my dear. So I feel that you are learning valuable lessons. I am. Don't bury them in coffins. Oh. Of course it could always be worse. Perhaps you made the poor life choice of being born a woman. Oh. And things just escalated from there until you were trying desperately to make a living through sex work. Life was hard for London sex workers, and one day we'll do that episode. And the church didn't make their deaths any easier because they forbade sex work as a Christian burial. So sex workers were commonly laid to rest in unconsecrated grounds like the crossbones, which sounds soothing. Are you soothed? The crossbones, yes. If you knew that your bones would lie forever in a place that bore that name, you'd feel like, you know, things were going pretty well, I think. I'd feel like it was going to have some kind of cool pirate adventure. This burial ground was choked with corpses, especially during the cholera epidemics, and body snatchers considered it to be a favorite place to snatch the low-hanging fruit of shallowly buried bodies. Mm. You've covered body snatchers in your Resurrectionist episode, and the thought of being sold for dissection was alarming to people, especially because the Christian belief at the time held the bodies must be intact on the day of resurrection. Mm. So people would go to all sorts of lengths to protect the dead. People would be buried in iron coffins. There were these cage things that you could place over fresh graves. Hired watchmen, dogs, loved ones would stand vigil until the body was too decomposed to steal. People poured quicklime over the corpses to prevent theft. And also booby-trapped graveyards. <laughs> And while none of my readings specifically said that all manner of fun and hijinks resulted from <laughs> that, putting the fun in funeral. <laughs> so I like to imagine, like, you know, innocent mourners making one wrong step and... <laughs> <laughs> 
And then, of course, there were paupers' graves, which were open pits left open for weeks on end until 17 or 18 bodies were interred in them. And then a bit of soil would be scattered on top. (laughs) But while we're waiting for those holes to fill... Shall we mosey on down to the workhouse? Let's do. Oh, watch your feet because there are. Th- oh, spring trap. Uh, there. Oh, oh mm, right. Okay, okay, okay. okay, walking, okay. Walking oh, carefully. Right, if I jump over there. Ah, oh, shit. There's another one. <laughs> I just love the idea of a solemn funeral procession. <laughs> then, oopsie. <laughs> The orphans. What What are the orphans doing? Let's see. Are they building coffins? Or, you know, are they stealing bones? While we're here, we've got time for a little rumor-mongering. Mm. Have you heard of Emily L? Do tell. This is a rhyming rumor. <laughs> Emily was famous in the late 1600s for their bottle store. But not just any bottle store. Their... <sighs> Bottle store. Oh, my God. People would go to Emily and provide their own urine, as well as an assortment of other potent ingredients, such as teeth, pins and needles, nail clipping, hair, and rosemary. I love the rosemary at the end. Yes. <laughs> it's like, here are my gnarly human parts. And, and some herbs. And some nice ones. Emily would mix all of these ingredients up in a glass bottle or stoneware jug, putting all these ingredients together into a powerful protective charm that would keep the owner safe from witchcraft. Greg and Mildred would take their witch bottles home to bury under the hearth or otherwise hide in the house, probably in a nearby corpse, really. They'd just be like, oh, no, you know, we can stash <laughs> bottles in Uncle Joe. <laughs> like, open up, click, 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 climb inside. <laughs> happy in the knowledge that they were safe from black magic. But little did they suspect that Emily was a witch herself. (gasps) Shocking, I know. The person who created a magical charm for you is capable of magic? (laughs) Mind blown. Uh, I just, uh, I'm, I'm upset. And sneaky Emily was not only a witch, it was sneaky to Oh, I said sneaky twice. Well, I guess they are sneaky twice. They're doubly sneaky to boost. Because whenever somebody provided their urine, hair, nail clippings for a witch bottle, Emily would sneak a little bit of it and hide it away on the side. Oh, that's very good. That way, Emily could ensure that she had control over nearly the entire town. You know, just in case. Sometimes a person needs to be able to raise an army of magically compelled soldiers for reasons. Hmm. So Emily, thank you for being our patron and please only use your witchy powers for good, you peace-stealing rascal you. <laughs> or give us some of those hair and, and nails and things. For reasons. For reasons. You know reasons. And if you listeners want to hear about witch bottles, old English riddle games, exorcisms gone wrong, or haunted paintings of crying children, sign up to our Patreon <laughs> extra <laughs> I'm selling it. Yes. <laughs> we'll also spread 100% true facts about you, like the fact that you steal pee, which will boost your social life. Yes. Trust us. We have friends. Yeah. And their pee. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash awful forever podcast or on Twitter at awful forever pod. Now that one third of the orphans are burying the other third while a final third are trying to rob the graves... Shall we see how grave things are outside the workhouse? No. I bet you're 
dying to know what happens Mm-mm. next. Mm-mm. No. I'm I'm dead serious, Jess. Yeah, I threw up in my mouth a little bit. There were a very, very few prominent people who believed that maybe everyone, even the poor, deserved a little better in the way of burial. <laughs> Those idiots. And amongst them was none other than Charles Dickens. He's everywhere. I wonder when Charles is going to come back. And here he is grubbing around in the corpses. There's just a little footnote for him. Um, He wrote in support of burial reform and he depicted the foul state of London graveyards in his novels, such as Bleak House. But there was one other man who isn't Charles Dickens and therefore slightly inferior. But his name was George Alfred Walker, but people called him Graveyard Walker (laughs) because they're mean. Because he was a vampire hunter? He carried out a survey of 47 of London's worst burial grounds, so he went from graveyard to graveyard writing about what he saw. He started out as a surgeon in Drury Lane, and he believed, incorrectly as it turned out, that the cholera epidemics were caused by corpses. But besides these practical concerns, he also felt compassion for the poor, who were forced to endure every indignity, even after they were dead. Mm. And you can read his survey for free online. I'll try to remember to put up a link. So... Here's an extract from his review of a site known, probably ironically, as the Green Ground at Portugal Street. Mm -hmm. The soil of the ground is saturated, absolutely saturated with human putrescence. The living here breathe on all sides an atmosphere impregnated with the odor of the dead. Walker wanted to close down the inner London burial grounds, and so he set up a society for the abolition of burial in towns. He won the support of another well-known reformer called Sir Edwin Chadwick, the oh greatest God. Chad. That's, that's, the, that's the best kind of man I've ever heard. <laughs> Who joined his campaign. And I'm not going to talk about Chadwick, but I wanted to put on the side that he's just such a fascinating man. Like, I'm not going to get into everything that he, that he ever did now, but he was friends with uh, John Stuart Mill and Jeremy Bentham two utilitarian philosophers who were pretty great in their own right, and Chadwick spent his whole life reforming the poor laws in England and bringing about improvements in public health and sanitation. And it was only after this that he was knighted and became a sir. One day when I get to covering London poop, because I'm going to cover every bodily fluid ever (laughs) and how it relates to London, Mm -hmm. so when I get to poop, I'll talk about him more. So you've got Walker and Chadwick demanding change. And what helps get the public interest more than a couple of scandals? Oh, yes, that's right. Catherine Arnold mentions that Enon Chapel was thus named as a reference to John the Baptist, who converted people at Enon. But she also mentions that the word Enon means mass of darkness. (gasps) And I just love it when a name foretells a a destiny. Mm. I I said a destiny. That's right. (laughs) So Enon Chapel got off to a good start, being built on Clements Lane over an open sewer, which ran through its vault. It was run by a Baptist minister, a Mr. W. Howes, or Reverend Howes, I guess. And no matter where I looked, I couldn't find his first name, so he must have been a woman, I guess. Hmm. He used the vault as a place to bury the dead, and the upper part of the chapel for worship. But there were problems. When people came to worship, many of them would just pass out Hmm. during the ceremonies. Hmm. Was it maybe religious fervor? 
and on warm days a stench would fill the, da- fill the air, especially on the damp days. It was so bad that people complained of a strange putrid taste in their mouths. Oh, no, no, no. You know when something's rotting, like a piece of fruit, and you kind of just go, hmm. And in the summer, the air was alive with dark insects that the children, for no reason that anybody could really understand, called body bugs. Mm -hmm. But what do children know, am I right? I mean, put those little tykes back in the mines. In 1839, the commissioners of sewers decided that the sewer in the vault would need to be covered up, and then they were going to run a second one beneath the building. And in the words of today's clickbait articles, what they found will startle you. (laughs) And doctors don't want you to know this weird fact. (laughs) And nine out of ten priests will tell you this is complete normal. The vault was 59 feet by 12, which in sane measurements is 18 meters by about three and a half meters. <laughs> and in that space, Reverend Howes had buried 12,000 bodies. What? I'm bad at numbers, <laughs> but that's a lot. That's a lot. That's... I looked at my hands and I see 10 things and it's a lot more than that. At least five times more. Uh, I don't have that many hands, Philippa. I mean, we talk about how we're bad at numbers. Just take a look at how we've numbered our episodes. (laughs) (laughs) So holes had been dug into the floor to accommodate more bodies and they were piled up, filling the space to the absolute ceiling. And the ceiling, by the way, was just made of, you know, wooden planks. And that was all that separated the living worshippers upstairs from the festering, rotting charnel house below. Mm. One might ask, why did people give their bodies to Reverend House to bury? Mm. That sounded sexual. And then at the last minute, I swapped it around. (laughs) Did the old switcheroo there? I was like, huh? Oh. Oh. (laughs) And he, he was cheap. He asked only 15 shillings per per burial internment, I guess. And he wasn't fussy about who he buried. It didn't matter about denominations. And that's important for Baptists because they don't baptize their children at birth, which Mm. means that for Baptists, when their children died, and apparently in Manchester, you know, that was 57% of the time, not many churches are going to allow them a resting place in their soil or vaults. So it was places like Houses, House of Horror, or the Common Grave, really. Those were your options. And when Howes ran out of space, he would apparently chuck dirt and human remains into the Thames. Okay. Or he would break down corpses using quicklime and use the remaining coffin wood as fuel for his fires. (laughs) Oh, Oh, the stench. Think of the fucking stench. Look, if I have a rotten orange in my fruit bowl, then the house is haunted by the putrid ghost of that orange for fucking months. I'll be sitting around and I'll be like, should have eaten that orange in the first week. Unclean, unclean. So 12,000 corpses. So this was all very shocking when it came out and the chapel was closed down, but the bodies were just left to rot there. Nobody did anything about them. The building was renamed Clare Market Chapel and it was rented out by a group of teetotalers who used the room for tea dances. 
I love when they do a rebrand, like clear markets. In they should have called it, you know, like no corpse church, clean place, Cle- very good, clean, happy time place. There is one graveyard which I'll, I'll mention it a little bit later, but it was called Spa Fields. Oh, it's like mm. this one. They kind of did capitalize on the shock. Um, the tea dancers were referred to as dancers on the dead. Mm-hmm. And the living would whirl around on that thin wooden floor that covered the full vault. No admittance unless you were wearing shoes and stockings. <laughs> in 1847, which is much later and past all the things that I'm going to talk about, Walker ended up buying the chapel himself, and he paid out of his own pocket for the remains to be more respectfully interred at Norwood Cemetery. But... In the process of digging up the 12,000 corpses, he did expose the the horrors of the chapel to public view. And it was this scandal and the effects of the cholera epidemics and the the glowing, the growing belief in and fear of miasma that enabled Walker and Chadwick to appeal to the commons. Every time I say his name, I just want to go, Chadwick. It's uh, Chadwick. Miasma, by the way, we mention it quite a lot. It was the poisonous stench that spread disease, according to Victorian Londoners. Their belief in the deadly effects of bad smells was a popular one in the mid-1800s, and also to me personally. Mm-hmm. But this yes. theory would be disproven eventually. Uh, yeah, mm, I disagree, though. You know, there's... Theories and proven, you know, quotation marks. What's proven really, you know? (laughs) I think the farts are the ghosts of food and it's going to poison you and you'll die from it. Not just the ghosts of food, but the vengeful ghosts of food. That's right. In 1842, a select committee would come to the conclusion that the dead were killing off the living. Dun dun dun... George Walker was more than prepared for this moment, old Grave Walker. Having toured the graveyards of London, he was able to inform the committee of spa fields in Clerkenwell, describing the ground as saturated with the dead. Ugh. Bodies were burned in secret, cremation, ugh, foreign, <laughs> savage. <laughs> graveyards were shuffled about to give an impression of emptiness, and human remains were mutilated, and in a space designed to hold a thousand bodies, at least 80,000 corpses had been buried. What the fuck? So I think that if we've learned anything, it's that Londoners are just really good with space. Yes. So other witnesses came forward. A gravedigger's assistant at St. Clement Danes said that he once came across a colleague chopping off his own father's head, the assistant's father's head, to make room. Here's the story in his own words. I saw them chopping the head of his coffin away. I should not have known it if I had not seen the head with the teeth. I knew him by his teeth. One tooth was knocked out and the other was splintered. I knew it was my father's head and I told them to stop and they laughed. Others spoke about the dangers of corpse gas and how when grave diggers opened a coffin, they would have to run to a safe distance to avoid being suffocated by the gas. <laughs> Apparently, there were people who were literally struck dead by the gas. Oh, wow. They would suffocate. They tried to kind of mitigate it by like airing out vaults or burning straw around the gases and but yeah people died it became evident that grave digging was a fucking terrifying job and that the people who did it couldn't perform their tasks without getting drunk beforehand so <laughs> tell me how that dear skeleton goes for you <laughs> oh, no. i'll just have to get really crunk it's fine then you 
your neighbors will just see you drunk digging up bones in your backyard. And I'm just like singing into the night. It's just like, Something well back up. Something Something bones and go. Some people accused Walker of siding with private cemetery companies, but they accused him of interfering with their goings on as well. But in the end, the conclusion was, and I quote, The nuisance of internments in large towns and the injury arising to the health of the community from the practice are fully proved. No time ought to be lost by the legislative in applying a remedy. The evidence has also exhibited the singular instance of the most wealthy, moral, and civilized community in the world, (laughs) tolerating a practice and an abuse which has been corrected for years by nearly all other civilized nations in every part of the globe. Mm -hmm. So the intent was to ban urban burial and to enforce parishes to build their cemeteries outside the city center. But just so that I don't end this episode on a happy note, I'll add (laughs) that it took 10 years to pass effective legislation when the Burials Act, its full name being the Act to Amend the Laws Concerning the Burial of the Dead in the Metropolis, in 1851. So improvement was slow, but it kind of was there. And burial reform played an important part in the sanitary reform, I say the word reform a lot, that took place in mid-19th century London. One of these days, I really am going to have to cover the great stink of June 1858. (laughs) I think that will probably be when poop and Chadwick will become relevant. The 1851 legislation didn't solve anything immediately either. Like, you still had paupers' graves, and the poor were still reluctant to release bodies into the hands of the authorities because the 1832 Anatomy Act allowed unclaimed poor people to be given to anatomy schools for dissection. Aww. I I get that students needed bodies to dissect. Apparently they needed like four per student per year. Wow. Mm. Like, you need a lot of bodies to become a good surgeon. Mm. But when people were thinking about it, they were like, oh, well, we, we need to give them bodies. And um, I guess convicted criminals aren't enough, so... But nobody wants to give their bodies to science. Mm, Because science is evil and wrong, and it makes you ill. 5G, I mean, we haven't even heard of that yet, but that sounds like demons. (laughs) And then they were like, well, so William, do you want to give your body to science? And so William was like, no. So they were like, the poor. Yeah, because no one gives a shit, and everyone nodded and patted themselves on the back and then started a big circle jerk. And whenever a poor people died... A poor people died. Whenever a poor person died, they'd be like, does does this poor person belong to anybody? You? You? Um, anybody lose a poor person? They have brown hair and they are very malnourished and dead. Dead as well. Mm-hmm. The brown hair might just be filth. Again, the brown hair might just be filth. We, no? No, that we think its name is Greg... Anybody mm-hmm. lose a great... No? Okay. No. Nope. Right. Put them in the box. I love that there was no consideration at all for, like, you know, the the person themselves and if they wanted to be given to. Mm. That was- the new legislation also made it very difficult to bury infant corpses. In the mm. past, it was the custom for people to tip a grave digger a shilling or two. Toss a coin to your witcher. (laughs) So you'd give a grave digger a shilling or two, and then he would then bury the small corpse in an open grave or someone else's coffin. And it it was just cheaper that way. I mean, children died a lot early Mm. on, and 
a lot of people just couldn't afford to pay for a full burial. So they would take children's corpses, stillborn corpses, and they would just kind of get slotted in. But now that burial plots were further away, outside the city, it became more common for people to just leave dead babies in the streets. Oh, yeah. Wow. And sometimes horrific scandals arose. I wrote in 1993, but I meant to say <laughs> in 1893, for example, an undertaker by the name of Camden, who works in Bermondsey, was found to have a whole cache of dead babies in his shop. As he was wearing neon and poppers and listening to Backstreet Boys. <laughs> for five shillings, he'd promised to bury these babies around different cemeteries, and then he just never got around to it, I guess. Mm. But on the whole, things kind of did improve very slowly. The biggest change came about really was when people started to accept cremation. But mm. that lay a long way away and is a story mm. for another time. So are you ready to exhume your dear skeleton? I sure am. <laughs> I'm going to watch out for the gases and... And all that jazz. I'm going to go back for that dead magpie now. You've <laughs> convinced me. I've convinced Every time you. I see roadkill, that's mine. going to go just fucking park my car, chuck it in the back, don't care who's watching. I'll be like, everyone, no, it's okay. I'm a podcaster. And they'll go, oh, okay, all right, all right, all right. And then they'll let me get on my way. Speaking of something <laughs> sometimes... <laughs> I guess my dear thing is kind of cool. That's just my, some things are nice sometimes. I like it that your nice thing is like, I found some bones, they were kind of juicy. Yeah, they were sloppy and slurpy and maybe I ate a little bit, who knows? <laughs> it's like free venison. That's how we met. I came upon you in the forest <laughs> and you kind of looked up from this corpse, the gore and putrescence dripping from your mouth. You smiled at me. Offered you some and you were like, yes, please, yum, yum, yum. And that's how we became friends and then, then I was like Georgia do you progress with me <laughs> you had no other choice but to say yes because I had captured you in my cage that was made of bones one day I just heard this whisper on the wind saying what's thou like to live deliciously <laughs> and you know the rest is history and a hand rose up out of nowhere and slid across a small piece of paper and then disappeared again into an impossible nook that it came from. You picked up the piece of paper and it said, we need to yell about Mildred a lot, who is no one, but she exists now. And you were like, what the fuck does this mean? And then a year later, when we did the we started the podcast, the note from the mysterious hand made sense. They always end up making sense in the end. They do. They do. Unlike us. I'm very jealous because you live, you know, out on the edge of a forest, whereas I live next to 700 different pubs. So mm. the only corpses I find are the alcoholics who drowned in puddles, which yeah. and that's not nearly as fun because no. it's not really legal to take them home. No, it's not, is it? I don't even know if it's actually legal to have taken the dick. <laughs> and here you are, confessing yet, live on air. Oh, it's all a bit. I'm an entertainer. You can't prove it. Don't come in. Don't, don't look come in my, my closets. Don't, don't, don't open that door. 